Hi, I'm Andy Johnson. I'm one of the associate pastors at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and we're interviewing a couple of friends from overseas today to think particularly about Western missions and the global church. So we have Arnold, a Christian friend of ours who's a former elder at a church in a Muslim-majority country in Central Asia, and Vincent, who's a pastor at a church in East Asia. And today we want, we want to spend our time specifically thinking about the role that Western missionary work plays in the growth of Christianity, particularly in the Muslim world and in China. So uh, it's great to have you guys here with us. If we could just start off, if you could tell us just a little bit about your background, how you became a Christian, and what your role has been in local church ministry where you are. I grew up in a normally Muslim home. Um, the first Christian I've ever met was a, was a, my was uh, happened when I was in university. It was a, an American missionary. Met him in the gym. His name was John, and through our friendship with him, four, fourteen months later, I became Christian. So he was the first person to share the gospel with me, give me my first Bible, introduce me to some local Christians. So yeah, he was he's been a faithful friend, and God used him to bring me to repentance and faith. That's great. And you, Vincent, how did you uh, become a Christian, and then your role? as a pastor in a local church. Yes, I first heard about gospel um, 20 years ago as a, as a freshman in university. My American English teacher, who actually shared gospel with me, and I attend the Bible study with him for about a semester. After he has gone, I lost all my connection with Christians, and uh, I didn't want to go back to to uh, non-religious people, atheists. So I decided to group myself with Buddhist. And I have been a Buddhist for 10 years until I heard gospel again, and, and I was convicted by my, by my sin, and uh, I became a believer afterwards. And uh, shortly after becoming a believer, a year or something, I, start, I was asked to teach in my church. And uh, I have been teaching, I have been an elder, formerly considered to be ordained to be an elder for over 10 years now. Mm. That's great. Well, that's a little bit about your personal backgrounds, but also just for the folks that are listening, tell us a little bit about the state of gospel work in the countries where you live, about you know, its health, special challenges, what you think the future holds for Christian work in the places where you live. Arnold? Um, I've been a late elder at at my house church for six years. So it's, I've been for most of my Christian life. I've been limited to this to our house church. But lately, in the past two years, I've traveled a lot around my country. And so, from what I've seen, so first of all, there's very very few churches in general. I think there might be a hundred churches altogether in 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 my country. Um, out of them, the largest ones are are heavily influenced by soft prosperity gospel the charismatic um very hard to hear the 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 pure gospel being preached very very little emphasis on the uh, kind of exegetical preaching um and the few churches that are preaching the bible uh, more faithfully they tend to be smaller and overall i would say health is I would not say that there are that many healthy churches, unfortunately. So there's a big need for more training, especially uh, in 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 um, kind of in, in studying the Bible, 
uh, in preaching, there's uh, there's a lot a lot of need in that. And for you, Vincent, what about things in East Asia where you are? I think there's a lot more Christians where you live. Yeah, um, in my country, I think I saw a great uh, awakening after t- year 2000 in cities. And 10 years before year 2000, it was mostly in the countryside. And uh, especially among students and uh, uh, the educated people in cities, there is a big movement. Uh, but uh, not all over the country. In some cities, the place I came from, which is have many, many people groups in, in my region, 31 people groups actually in my region, but there were very few churches. In the city I came from with one million population, I can name the only five churches in my city, and four of them are having a charismatic background. And I would say that God has been calling a lot of people repent as a Christian now, and now there is a big need in, in my country of Christian education, great uh, big needs for pastors to be trained in my country. Okay, so you know, Westerners, you know, look sometimes at places around the world, like you know, the country where you're from, Arnold, Muslim country. There's not very many Christians. Um, it seems like a place to send Americans to do gospel work or people from the West. But Vincent, where you are in East Asia. You know, people hear reports in that part of the world of, you know, maybe millions and millions of Christians. Do you think there's, is there still a role, particularly in your part of the world, for for people to be sent from churches here in the West? Or uh, should we just leave it to you and the locals? Uh, in East Asia, there were reports uh, years ago, especially uh, when... People was saying CPM church plenty movement times that there were reports about millions of million people got saved and uh, thousands of churches was planted. Uh, I think there might be a misunderstanding in between. There are still a big population there that never heard about Christianity, never heard about gospels, and I think I don't think that it. Uh, the Western Christianity can think that, think that uh, can leave it alone for the locals to to evangelize them. I think we do still have a great need there to uh, to help, not just help in training pastors in church planting, um, but also in evangelism itself. And how about you, Arnold? What do you? What do you feel like the need for Western churches to send people to your country is right now? I think there's still a big need. Um, I th- if I remember correctly, Joshua Project says that among my people group, that, that there's, it's 0.06% Christians, so means there are about 6,000 people of my people's people group uh, that are Christians in the whole world. So it's a very unlikely for uh, that a regular person in the street will ever hear the gospel unless there's more more people. So yes, there's definitely a need still even just to evangelize and to make disciples uh, as as a missionary work. I also think um, 
you know, I wish that in the near future our country will be a sending country, but I think that as of now there there is need. Uh, one of the things is that so remembering my own story, the first time I met a local Christian, I was in a way I was angry with with those people because I thought that they betrayed our country, and I did not want to talk to them about their faith because I thought that they betrayed their own religion, their own culture. But I was okay talking to an American missionary because. For me, well, it is his his tradition, his 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 culture, kind of his religion. So I can it's okay for me to listen to him. Uh, so and I think that there are quite a few people who uh, are will be just more open to hearing about about Christ, about the Bible, and hearing the gospel from somebody outside of their own culture. Okay. Well, presumably, there are a number of pastors and church leaders that are listening to you guys right now. If you think it is still useful for them to be sending people from their churches. What are the kind of people that you want to see them sending to your countries? And what are the things that you want those people to be doing when they get there? Vincent? Uh, yes. Uh, I think coming back to just what we talk now, uh, there were a lot of advantages for Westerners to go to East Asia because a lot of people are wanting to practice their English with them, you will have a lot of advantages. As uh, a foreigner there to share gospels. And talking about what kind of people that uh, should be sent there to East Asia, I would say that uh, people who well-trained, people who, uh, who have a good understanding of sound doctrine, and people who uh, know how to plan churches to be sent there. Well, just jumping on that, Vincent, like when I talk to a lot of people that are thinking about going out for the sake of the gospel and churches sending them out, churches tend to focus on people who are young and enthusiastic and unattached. Are those the best people for us to be sending to your country? Well, uh, these people can be uh, coming along with more mature, experienced people to go together as a team in the hope of planning church with the local churches, if possible. How about you, Arnold? What do you think? What are the kind of people you want to see yeah. coming from the West to your country? Yeah, I think it's um, the question is would uh, just. Would you, like, what kind of person would you like to receive in your church? This I would ask the pastor, and probably he would say, well, the one that loves the Lord, who is fruitful right now, who is making disciples right now where he is, and if it's a, like a multinational city that he is proactively reaching out to other nationalities right now so that he is not waiting until he goes overseas. So this will be ideally, yes, he loves God, and he's fruitful right now in his ministry. Know that he wants to be fruitful when he leaves his country. Um, and the kind of two groups of people I think that can be used, one is, like you, Andy, said, um, young people who are zealous, who are passionate. I think it's just for their own sake, if they go for a short term, couple years, uh, for their own sake, that they will grow in the Lord. And because they're young and zealous, they usually tend to be able to make tons of connections, kind of feed those connections to the local churches so that the work can be uh, you know, be done, be continuing to be done when they leave. But if it's a longer term um, commitment, I'd rather have more men and women who are 
or godly and who have been trained and seasoned in their faith, especially like for men that they are elder qualified, or they preferably they have served as elders at their churches, so that they can not only be sharing the gospel with unbelievers, but they can be also investing into believers and discipling them, because there's just a lot of need for good theological training and we have zero seminaries and they're illegal in our country so the only the, the only way to be trained is informal in informal settings and we have we can have men who are elder qualified and they have good uh, education theological education i mean that's just such a big blessing uh, and that they they pour themselves into discipling men uh, at local churches okay well let's turn and think too if so let's say a church sends someone to the city where you live. How do you want to see missionaries interacting with the churches that you're a part of? Like they may they may not speak the local language really well yet, but how how do you want to see a missionary interacting with you? Do you do you want them to just sort of leave your church alone because there might be some security risk and have them just go kind of do their own thing, or do you want them to come and partner with you? Or do you want them to come and be a part of and like under the authority of your elders? How, if you got to control it, how would you want missionaries coming into your city, assuming they're good, sound people, how would you want them to relate to your churches? I definitely uh, don't want to see people go to a place and do it all by themselves. I, if there is a church available, like in my city, I would love to see them to cooperate with us, to work together um, to get people to the churches. I saw already that a lot of missionaries doing their own work, baptize their own people, and uh, like me, I, I, I heard gospel and I actually uh, attained half one semester's of Bible studies and I didn't, didn't uh, connect it with the local church. And I was scattered for 10 years, until 10 years later, I, I, I get back to church in another city. So uh, I did saw a lot of brothers and sisters hear gospels and even get baptized from individual missionaries and scattered around everywhere. I also see missionaries who uh, work closely with our church and eventually uh, bring a very good for very fruitful ministry there. Mm. How about you, Arnold? I think I'll echo uh, Vincent's uh, answer that they, they, they would join a good, healthy church in, in, in the town if there is one. Uh, I hope that they will go to a town that already has uh, a good a good church and be, be faithful members there and try to join the work that's already been been done instead of trying to start something completely new. I think this regularly, maybe 90% cases, I think this is the course that I would want to see. Yeah. Well, what if, jumping on that, what if there's a good-sized city in your country that doesn't have any Christian work going on? Mm. Would you think it's a bad idea for a Western Christian missionary, or, you know, or several people on a team yeah. to move to that city? How do you think would be the best way for that to happen? Because we want to see the gospel spread. So in, in in my country, I know that in the major cities, they are we have churches. Uh, so like ideally, for me, I think it would be better if there are 
local Christians that you still partner with them and go bring them along. And it might take longer than if just you go by yourself as, as Westerners. But yes, that you do give the vision. Hey, guys, this is your country. Let's, you know, let's be working towards going to that city that has zero churches. And we will come along with you. But you, look, we would like for you to take responsibility of uh, spreading the good work in your country. I think that's, I think it's a longer way, but I think it's just a more sustaining way uh, of planting new churches. Well, if not, not all missionaries do that. I mean, missionaries do sometimes sort of bypass existing local churches. Why do you think they do that? Especially if they're focused on church planting. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe they are not confident enough about the local church. I mean, if there is none healthy churches there, this is understandable. Maybe they want to build to plan another healthy churches. Or another reason could be they think evangelism is all about sharing gospels and getting people to pray the prayer. And eventually their, their life is not plenty rooted in a local church. Uh, that's probably the reason that uh, they want to bypass the local church. Hmm. Any other thoughts on that, Arnold? Yeah, I think that maybe the root cause is that if a missionary himself has, has, hasn't been a part of a good local church, has not been brought up, raised as a good faithful member of his church, then he goes overseas and he, and he doesn't, just, doesn't have the concept that local church is the, the, kind of the, the fongs that, holds, uh, that hold uh, the jewel of the gospel. Um, so maybe that's the root cause. I think, just I praise God that the missionaries that have been working with me, they love local church. So they, so this idea of the church, local church is the has the central place in the life of a Christian. I mean, it has always been a part of my uh, Christian DNA. So I praise God for this. But I would think that if if a missionary did not know what a local church is, uh, he did not have much grasp of an ecclesiology, then he, it's hard for him to have this when he moves overseas. Vincent? Yeah, I, I, w I would think it may be another reason. Was it because those missionaries were sent out by organizations instead of a local church? If they, if they are sent out by a local church, or even though it's through an, an organization, but this missionary still belong to a local sending church, this missionary probably will have a better understanding mm -hmm. of how local church uh, the importance of local church in evangelism, in, in missionaries. So I would say that uh, if you as a pastor send someone out through an organization, make sure that you're holding this man accountable and teach them how important the local church is in missionary, mm. in missions. Yeah, that's great. One other thing, it's kind of ironic really, given some of the things you say about people's focus or lack of focus on the local church, but here, here in the West, there has been happily, I think, over the last 30 years or so, a real sort of re-emphasis on church planting as the final goal of missionary work. Um, but some people have, have focused on that and said, well, the most important thing is that church planting is rapid and that it multiplies as fast as possible. When they look at like countries in Asia with huge populations of unbelievers, they think we need to plant as many churches as we can, as fast as we can, 
I mean, that's a, that's a good thing to want to see happen. But what experience have you had where people have focused especially on rapid in planting churches? Uh, so- thank you for the question. I, I have um, experienced that rapid planting churches. And uh, I was thankful that I was part of it, especially through, through it, I did see uh, some good fruits coming out of it. But uh, I personally, after many years of doing ch- rapid church planting, I personally don't believe it because life takes time. Planting churches takes time. For a church to grow, uh, for church leaders to grow takes time. It's not just something happened overnight. And my experience is we have been group sharing Gospels very hard, which is I'm proud of. Um, but when we group them together, it's not a church yet. And uh, we were very immature. There were a time that uh, we got 72 churches in my city, which is, um, I don't think they are really churches. They are just several Christians gathered together to study the Bible. Um, because of no sound doctrine, no solid good teaching to the brothers and sisters there, those 72 so-called churches disappeared in two or three years. And it was very sad. And we see people uh, everywhere not coming back to churches. So I personally don't believe that this rapid replications of churches. Well, just to jump on that, Vincent, like uh, someone here in the West listening to that might think you're saying you don't want to see lots of churches planted or you don't want to see lots of people become Christians. Um, Is that what you're saying? No, I definitely want to see lots of people become Christians, and I definitely want to see lots of churches be planted. And and I also admire and respect people who want to see that, who who actually wanted to see many, many churches be planted. I have no problem with that. But the fact is, it's not going to work that way. So in order to, in order to, I would say, to um, make the gospel spread better, quicker, I would say to plant healthy, solid churches faithfully, probably it will be a better way to make it faster. So you think the problem is that they're demanding that it be fast? That's right. They're demanding that it to be fast. And uh, sometimes they are intentionally taking away something that a church is supposed to do or a Christian is supposed to do only for the reason of easy, replicable. Hmm. How about you, Arnold? Have you had experience with that sort of thinking about church planting? I think I've had a lot less experience compared to uh, Vincent. Um, I do... So our house church has planted only one church in five years. And then some of my friends were telling me about this network of 40 to 70 house churches in the south of my country. Uh, And I was just shocked. How do they do it? And so finally I decided to travel and investigate. How come do they 
reproduce so quickly and we are so slow. Um, and what I found out is, well, first of all, there's no 70 churches. There might be a dozen. But even in that dozen of churches, I mean, the, the way they count churches was if there is a family that is open to hear, hearing the word and open to hosting a Bible study, even though they might not be saved, they're already count, counted as a church. Uh, and so there might be dozen or a couple dozen of those families around. But the more I visited them, the more I was... I wasn't sure if they were even saved, let alone if they're a church. Um, so so I'm, I'm concerned when I hear those reports about big numbers. So overall, uh, also having a nine years of experience in business, um, whenever numbers are seen or fruitfulness is seen as a kind of this key performance indicator, it's just so many dangers falling into pragmatism and... I love seeing many people come to faith. I always feel burdened to share the gospel with more people. I always want to plant more churches, but faithfulness has to be the only indicator of success. And yeah, unless something if something else substitutes faithfulness, it's just it's very becomes a very slippery slippery road. Yeah, Vincent. Yeah, let me describe a little bit more about what we experienced um, during those rapid replication time. Um, we share uh, actually when we we found that uh, we baptize 100 people and normally at the end of the year only 20 people left and giving three years later there was probably only two of three people left and out of the hundred people out of a hundred people were baptized and this is this is very sad and sometimes can be dangerous for for the for the good name of Christians. And there might be people who baptized and still believe they are Christian, but they never go to church anymore. Well, how would you advise, again, pastors and church leaders uh, like folks here in America? Because you know, they, they love the gospel, they want to see churches planted, and they want to see people come to Christ. And they talk to someone and someone reports, you know, thousands of baptisms and hundreds of churches planted in an amazingly short period of time, much shorter than we would ever maybe see in the West. We don't want to encourage people to be cynical. We assume people are intending to tell the truth, but how would you encourage pastors? What questions should they ask? How should they think through this to discern who they should be supporting and what work they should be supporting? Because that sounds very attractive. We want we want people that want lots of people to be saved. What what advice would you give? Uh, well, I I have I personally I don't doubt about the integrity of the of these people who was doing reports, but I believe that there might be some miscommunication in between this. Uh, for example, the locals maybe took it as a small group. But during the communication, people, some people probably took it as a church. And uh, for example, the local people maybe say that there is people, there are someone who did the prayers, the, the, the believer's prayer, and then during the reporting system, someone maybe took it as a believer. And uh, there are people out of Eastern Asian culture, they did not feel polite to refuse if you share gospel. Some, some people, just did the prayer and doesn't mean they are converted. 
and but the reports maybe took it as a conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those numbers, well, numbers of products from a factory is reliable, but numbers about conversions is not reliable because it's something happened within the heart. So I'm not saying I'm not telling you as a pastor. Uh, always be skeptical about numbers. I'm saying that numbers regarding this uh, probably means something, but not everything. Mm. Arnold, what do you think? What would you? How would you encourage pastors to have discernment in thinking through what kind of work they should be supporting mm-hmm. in your country? Uh, it's a two thoughts. One is is, is supporting. Support people that you already know well, that you're confident in them, and that you don't have to get those reports. I'm just not comfortable of the idea of of any kind of these numerical reports in general. It just sounds so businesslike. And like and like Vincent said, how can you tell? You know, it's so it's not easy to tell how many conversions happen. So don't demand those uh, reports because they do put pressure. But yes, and, and the major principle is invest in those people that you know that they have proven themselves to be reliable, faithful workers of the of the of the gospel, and then invest in them and trust that they will be doing this work, uh, and do not expect them to send those numbers. Uh, yeah, this. So you think just people trying to support workers that they actually know and have a yes. relationship with? Yes, no, they know them and know them well. Uh, Maybe hopefully they're members of their church, uh, and if not, they've spent extended amounts of time. They've seen them work. They've seen them in different contexts, so that they feel yes, they are a good investment, and I and I invest in them, and I will not gonna ask them to report uh, numbers uh, back to me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if changing a little bit, if if pastors and churches they want to raise up people like that. People that are going to be faithful and committed to doing work. What any advice that you'd give to pastors and church leaders about how they prepare and train up and raise up people to be those kind of workers in your countries? Well, uh, I see from CHBC that uh, uh, there are people who uh, showed their interest or desire to be a missionaries to work overseas. What I see here is the elders here are not sending them out immediately. Instead, they spend time with them to do Bible study or read a book together and in order to train them and also at the same time to know them, to know if they were, they were really called or not to go or not. So I think that's a good way to make sure that's the right people you want you you want to send to the mission fields. Borrow from what uh, Paul Washer said: the mission field don't need you, young man. The mission fields need Jesus. So make sure that uh, send these people who know Jesus, who know the gospel, who are uh, maturing their life, and if not. Don't discourage them. Wait and disciple them before sending them out. Arnold, how about you? So one observation I can make is that nine years ago, there were a lot more missionaries uh, in my country. The number has dramatically shrunk, but the quality of people has 
Imp- Why has the number shrunk? I'm not sure. I just th- I think that there's that that there's less money uh, at the sending organization probably. I think they have less money now than uh, nine and ten years ago. But but the the quality of the workers has improved. So the, all of the guys that I know that are serving in my country right now, they're just solid gold. They're so very very well trained, very well seasoned, and. Um, it means that something good has been happening at IMB mm-hmm. or the International Mission the International Board. Missions Board. Yeah. Uh, it means some good has been, some very good work has been happening there. Uh, I don't know all the details, but I can see the fruit in my own country by the quality of people that we, we started getting lately. Uh, so whatever you guys are doing, I think you're doing something very good and keep on doing it. I, I'm sure that it's a lot of it is related to improving the 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 uh, biblical foundation of what is a healthy church and who is a Christian. So answering those basic questions and unifying all the workers around the same principles and answers, I think th- that's pretty huge. So if in the past, I think so people people coming to the field, they had very, very various ideas about what a local church should look like and think now it's a, lot of, it's a bit more unified and it's just uh, encouraging to see. Oh, that's great. Also, w- one other thing, in recent times, uh, American Christians, Christians in the West, have been thinking a lot about trying to get people to go overseas with their jobs, Christians to purposefully move, but maybe they're not being sent out by a church, they're not being financially supported by a church, but as the economy the world just globalizes, people are moving, getting jobs other places, how, what do you think about that? How can How could it be encouraging and helpful to the work of the gospel in the places where you live for Christians to think about just getting a job in the city where you are and then trying to live there as a Christian and encourage gospel work. What do you think some of the strengths and opportunities of that would be? And are there any limitations or things you'd warn about in thinking about that? Uh, Giving to the association in the country I come from, most of the missionaries I heard about are have a job, which probably a cover for their jobs in order to get visa. Uh, but I do also find someone who really have a job that have lesser time to do the missions. So I would say um, we don't have to forbidden people from doing jobs. If there is a need, uh, go there to find a job at the same time to do uh, mission work. Uh, but for other, pe- other people going to other destinations, uh, cover is not needed. To be full-time is okay too. But I do see the advantages of keeping job also, of having a job also, because when you have a job, you have more contacts with people in your workplaces. Of course, there are advantages of having been full-time missionaries. All your your time there is share gospels and try to plant churches, disciple people. I I see both advantages. Arnold, how about you? What do you think about people moving to the city where you live with jobs to then try to come alongside and encourage Christian work just like faithful Christians do in whatever city they live in? Mm It's a big topic for me. I've been uh, doing business as missions for many years, uh, but a couple of thoughts. So one is, 
So having traditional missionaries who raise support and come and have these facade jobs, I mean, in most places, in 1040 window, it's, it's kind of the only way to do it. And it's, it's great. They spread, spread the word. They, they plant churches. Well, a drawback is that I've just know I've known so many guys who who observe those li- the lives of these traditional missionaries who they have these facade jobs. Uh, so they don't really make money. They don't really do jobs, but they pretend as they do. And so they learn from their example, not from their words. And then their work ethics is terrible. Like they, so personally, I don't. I don't trust de- de- doing business with Christians in my country. I don't, with pastors especially. I've been trying to do business in the past with pastors. It's terrible, and it's breaking relationships. But because they do not understand, just they have, I don't know why, but the, the problem is that there's this disconnection between how you do your job and living a Christian life. And, and one of the ways, and I'm glad there are more and more uh, thinking and, and, and work going towards bringing Christian businessmen and tent makers, so people who, who actually come and do real work, they, they produce something, service or, or, or uh, products, and or, or create jobs even. And this is so great that they can be an example, especially for the existing Christians and non-Christians. What This is what a Christian, this is how Christian lives his life. This is how he does the job, and this is an act of worship. Uh, and this is amazing. We need those examples. I wish we have more people. But so, but but to be sober about this, well, this person that comes and is a tent maker or a business owner, he does. He should not think of himself as a church planner. He should come and do your job really well and be a faithful church member. But also understand that this is going to be your primary ministry. Uh, yeah, and do not like, set the hopes too high and come along the work that's already been done. And just you know, just be a faithful witness, uh, disciple through your job, but also uh, you make it a priority. So don't don't think that yeah, I can I can do all all of these things. I'm gonna juggle all these uh, things at the same time. Yeah, be realistic, set realistic expectations. Yeah, I echo with um, the opinion, honest opinion. I I think I can picture that people in my church average. Uh, Christian life is about uh, three to five years. I can picture that if my church got someone, a mature brothers and sisters, work in my city and be a members of my church and be a good examples of my church of how a Christian would be like and uh, faithfully disciple someone there in my church, I can picture that how great that will be. So if you do have this kind of people, who want to work internationally and uh, who also want to disciple people, I would say that's great. Arnold? It's a real-life example. So I wanted my mom to get to know my missionary friends, and I invited her over, and, and, and she, was, she started asking them, so what do you do? And they said, well, we run this English company, so we teach English. And so she was walking around the office, uh, and then when we left, she said, Armand, I do not believe that they are running the business because there are no clients. And how are they making money? Because there are so many of them. If there are no clients, and I did not have an answer for my mom, but she figured out them. Like she figured it out after just an hour, less than an hour of spending in the company, not seeing any clients, customers come in. So she's like, oh, I think there's something else going on. And I mean, this just, you know, it's. I'm not comfortable when when, when this like, business as facade kind of stuff happens. I know it's sometimes it's the only way to do it, but I just wish there was more. Uh, it's more it's trying to do a better job. If you say that you do something, that you actually do it. I think it's just more honoring to God. Um, 
Yeah. Well, Arnold, if if you think that it's not helpful for missionaries to to pretend they're doing something, what advice would you give to missionaries who are wanting to come to countries where they can't get a visa as a missionary? Yeah, what what should they do? Should they just stay home or how would you advise people about that? Yeah, uh, I think so because because I've been in business. So for me, it, it, I know there m- must be so many uh, opinions about this. But the way that I would be comfortable if a person would not that, that he he can be be have just clear conscience. And the way I would do would have it is maybe if I come on a student visa, so that I can tell everybody I am a student, so I am learning the language. Uh, or I'm pursuing some degree. But if I am saying that I am doing the business, I want this business to... I just don't have a clear conscience unless this business is a real business. I I do have a a suggestion regarding that. I saw some missionaries who who asked for a job which uh, allowed them to work only for 15 hours a week or 20 hours a week. That way, they are not bringing bad testimonies for Christians in workplace. At the meantime, also work for for missions. Yeah, I mean, we have to be creative sometimes, but we want to we want to work with integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Was well, as we kind of wrap things up, are there any other bits of advice that you would give to pastors and church leaders in the West as they think about work in your countries? Any other thing that you'd want to say, Vincent? Well, I, I want to I want to thank those uh, brothers and sisters, Christians in this I would say well developed countries of faith. Thank you for praying and for continuously sending people to go to uh, countries like where I come from. It's been a great blessing already, and also thank you for keeping sound doctrine by. Uh, sending by preaching, by sending people to go to seminaries. I think that's a great uh, things, uh, treasures that pass down from generation to generations of Christians. Um, I will also uh, encourage you that to continue to pray in your own church, in your own local church, and uh, wait and pray for uh, for God that will, uh, will have raised up new people that will be ready, well prepared to send out. Any final thoughts from you, Arnold? Yeah, I want to thank all the men and women of God who went to much less developed countries, more dangerous countries, left their comfortable lives here to share the gospel. This is just so pleasing to God, so honoring. And this is something that is going to shock the world, not when we are successful, but when we leave success or successful jobs and we go and we do something outrageous for the kingdom. And so thank you. Also, like even the missionary that shared the gospel with me, by no means he was a perfect Christian, but God chose to use this ordinary guy to save me. So after all, I mean, there must be a desire to go. So please uh, just encourage people to to think about missions and as much as we can do you know, to send better missionaries, but there has to be the desire to go. And a practical thing, uh, try to invite the missionaries that you support to your church so that they talk to your people. I think this is the best way to hear the stories firsthand. Uh, so try to make 
budget lines in, in your church budgets to host those events invite missionaries that your church has been supporting so that the whole church gets to see them face to face i think it's just very encouraging both for the missionary and for the church well thank you for all your comments we we want to encourage people to be praying for gospel work uh, in east asia and in the muslim world and uh, we hope that this conversation will encourage people to be doing that and to be thinking maybe even more carefully about how they can send people out and how they can support people. So thank you very much, uh, you guys, for your time, and uh, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.